Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Who do we have today? We have Sensi Graves. And we were introduced to you because you and I met at the La Jolla Mansion, we called it. You were at UCSD, and um, I moved in with the boys and Annalisa in the mansion, and you walked in one day with our mutual friend Jennifer, and I was like, I like Sensi. And then, you know, fast forward many years, you became a professional kiteboarder, you launched Sensi Graves Swim, and uh, then we had you join us on a Stellar Co's Runway to Regeneration series, our Ladies' Night In event, and you were a smash. So thanks. Thank you. I was excited to do that. We are super excited to have you on our podcast because you get to share all the things and all the stuff about your swimwear line, how you made it a sustainable business, and what it looks like to be a more conscious and confident entrepreneur. So first things first, tell us about your background, how you became a professional kiteboarder. And while at the same time being a professional athlete, you decided to launch a business. Whew, yes. <laughs> Way back. So I, I guess let's start with, I grew up in Northern California and I've always been really into sports. I've had, I have three brothers, so we were super competitive growing up. We would snowboard, wakeboard. I was really into basketball. You know, all the all the things that you can do in Northern California. I wanted to go to UCSD because I wanted to become a surfer babe. Like that was, I was, you know, had a, all, all the surfer girls on my wall. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to learn to surf and just, you know, be this beach babe. I didn't put as much time into surfing as I did other things in college. <laughs> but in between my freshman and sophomore year of college, my dad said, hey, we're going to North Carolina to learn the kiteboard. And I was like, what? This is during the summertime. And I said, I have no idea what that sport is. What are we going to do? He had kind of gotten this wild hair idea. And I was like, okay. Now being all the athletes and competitive with my brothers, dove right, in, dove right into the sport and completely loved it. And then kept in touch with the school. And over the next couple of years, kiteboarded just a little bit here and there, but once again was in college, was focused on way other things. But then in between my junior and senior year of college, they the school that I had learned at called Real Water Sports in North Carolina was hosting some kite coaching tryouts. And I was like, that sounds like a fun summer job. Sign me up. Even though I could barely kiteboard at the time, I could barely stay up when I was not good. <laughs> But my charm and charisma got me through and I, I got the job and moved out to North Carolina in between my junior and senior year of college. And during that time, I just completely fell in love with the sport. It was kite every day. So it was like dream, sleep, eat, kiteboarding and just had the best summer. Met my now fiance there that summer, went back to school. And then once I graduated from UCSD, moved back to North Carolina and chased kind of endless summer from there. And really it was just that I was in this melting pot of, or this hive of, of kiteboard energy. And there are a lot of pro kiteboarders that were coming out of North Carolina. We had a slider park at the school that I was teaching at. 
which a slider park is very similar to what you have snowboarding where you have rails and features. That's what I compete in and kiting. So we have those same things floating in the water and they had one in North Carolina. So it was this epicenter of park riding. And I just started once again, keeping up with the boys, pushing my limits, you know, competitive, get me in there. And because I was focused on it and just in that Mecca, I just naturally started progressing. And honestly, there were very few women in the sport at the time, especially in that discipline. And so not to say it was easy by any means to start competing in that, but it was very like, okay, we need everybody on board so we can have a kayak competition. Um, and during that same time, you know, honestly, it was never my intention to become a professional kiteboarder. I have to say that. Like I was like, I'm, I started kiteboarding when I was 18 years old. I don't, how, how can you be professional? <laughs> like that's just, I don't need to do that. That sounds like way too much. But then when I started competing and it was just kind of a natural, like, okay, my fiance is a professional kiteboarder. So I was following him around. We were going all around the world and it just kind of happened that I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start doing the social media for this kite company. Oh, I want to start writing articles. Oh, I'm going to start submitting photos. Oh, you know, I was just like kind of making the, the land grab of where I saw I could make my name. And at that same time, as I was becoming a kite coach, so back to right when I was graduating college, I was in the water every single day. I was in my bikini literally every single day. And I just remember being like, what, what is with this stuff? Like uh, most of the stuff on the market at that time was triangle tops. Like that was the, the full rage. And then it was either like frumpy performance swimwear, Speedo, I'm going to say Patagonia and Prana were in there because they were geared towards a much older audience and they were just like super sport. Or it was really the triangle tops, like the Rip Curls and the Billabongs of the world that really not only didn't work, but also promoted this idea of women laying on the beach and not being out there in the water and not doing all the things that I was doing. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. I want to look great. I want my swimmer to look really good, but I need it to perform. And I want to feel really confident in what I'm doing in all these activities. And I also want to promote this idea of an active woman and someone that is not just limited to the line on the beach. I'm sure you guys saw that Billabong ad like pretty recently, a couple years ago where they had on their website, it was like men, women, and they had a guy surfing and then a girl lying on the beach. Like there's a whole yeah blow up around it yeah there was like a billboard around it yeah so it was that idea that I was just like we gotta get this is this is done we need to stop let's create something that really women can identify with you know not it's not for everyone like not everyone's trying to be active in their bathing suit but I was and I was like I know there are other women that feel this way so let's create a product that works so that's the origin story of both my kite career and the bikini line and um, that was 10 years ago. That's so cool. I love that that I, cause I've known you through Laurel and through the event and I know about, you know, your swimmer line, but the kite border, I, like you said, I didn't. And as I mentioned in our pre live discussion, I know nothing about any kind of like active water sports. And I didn't know professional kiteboarding was a thing. I'm like, I don't even know where you start or how do you get into it? And I just think it's so cool. And I love your entrepreneurial side and you solve a problem and you solved it. I just, it's really inspirational. And I, anytime someone, I, I love people who don't just settle and say, Oh, well, this is, this is all there is. So I guess this is what I live with. And um, I love your swimsuits too. I'm so bummed because sidebar before we get into it, but um, since swim 
cincygraveswim.com, cincygraveswim.com. And some of your new prints that came out and I like opened it up in a new tab. I was like, Oh my gosh, I want this so bad. And then when I went went back to buy it, it was sold out. And I was like, so putting a plug, if there's any laying around, but um, your stuff is so cute. I love it. Thank you. I mean, that's why you're here, but yeah, well actually sidebar (laughs) to your sidebar and this will get into the sustainable business practices. I mean, everything we make is in limited quantities and we don't just, make stuff and then off discount it and try and get rid of it. It's like, I'm very conscious of how much product I think we can sell without having to throw things away at the end of the year or just, you know, completely um, lowball what the, the actual cost of the product is. Cause I think that's where we get lost today. A lot. We see this t-shirt that's $12 and you're like, that did not, that doesn't cost $12. It's $3 t-shirt. You know, it's cost way more to actually make that product environmentally the transportation costs, you know, all those hidden costs that we just see the sticker price and we're like, Ooh, $12. Great. I'm going to buy that. It's like, no, we need to start changing our mindset around how much things actually cost. Well, I think that's a nice segue into what's wrong with the fashion industry. Uh, Tell tell us about, tell us our audience about what you think was wrong about the fashion industry and why Sensi Grave Swim is different. Great question, Laurel. There are two huge things that are wrong with the fashion industry. Number one in my mind is that it's very exclusive. It's this whole thing of you can't get into our club. You know, weren't when I first went to my very first trade show, swim trade show, it was like, who, you know, who are you? You're not cool enough to be here. And it's really perpetuating kind of still this one idea of one man, one woman, this very idyllic body type. We're getting over that a lot, but I think that's the baseline of what Still inherently wrong with it. But number two, and what I'm super, super passionate about is the production practices. Fast fashion is the second largest polluter of wastewater in the world, like number two. They're the second largest polluter of carbon in the world behind the agricultural industry. Like that's that's huge. The second in the whole world. Is that mind blowing? Behind the cows and the pigs. Yeah, which is a huge industry. But number two is the fashion industry, and so it's just a big problem of we consume. We want things. We create this whole consumption idea of okay, you need this next big item, and then we sell it, and then we don't think about the whole entire life cycle. So really we need to get to a place where we're circular creating the circular economy with our clothes. And a lot of brands are doing that, but the number one thing is just the waste from when you throw away your clothes, the wastewater pollution and the the carbon production that uh, that's not being addressed for the greater part in the fast fashion industry, especially. So once again, referring to those $3, $12 t-shirts that are just like, Oh, great. The sticker price is really low on this, but I'm not accounting for any of the other costs. I mean, that's not even paying for labor to make that t-shirt. Yeah. It's like, um, the fashion industry, the fast fashion industry is just a race to the bottom Mm. and having low quality, low price goods, not only is a race to the bottom in terms of price, but in terms of quality, and just generates more waste. And the, the price of it is not reflective of what the inputs are in the supply chain. And so when you're out there in the water and you're experiencing the triangle tops and the frumpy ones and you go, aha, I'm going to create a great swimsuit that's not only functional, but it empowers women to be athletic and look real cute doing it. 
at what point were you like, were you like, hang on, I love swimsuits, but the swimsuit industry is messed up too. And I need to sort out the supply chain for this product and kind of walk us through the thought process. And what was like the first sustainability step you took in greening your process? Mm, that's a great question. Inherently from the beginning, I was hesitant to start a manufacturing company because I knew that the world really didn't need another swimwear brand. I was like, we don't, how is producing more stuff really going to do good for the planet? How is just manufacturing more things like that originally took me a while to get over. And then I thought, okay, if we can actually do this in the right way and we can be an inspiration and a leader for other brands to follow and create more conscious consumers, then that's something that we should do. And so in the beginning that was on my mind, but I was so naive <laughs> and small and I bootstrapped the entire business. And so the first probably four years, I really wasn't that green. I was made in the US from the beginning. That was one of my core pillars. I was like, okay, once one number one thing we can do just to get start it get started is to be made in the US. So let me find a manufacturer that's local. Well, that's a huge, that is a huge deal because everybody goes, oh, I'm going to manufacture offshore. It's easier. It's faster. And so for you to make that conscious decision right at the start to go, no, I, the first thing we're doing is manufacturing in the U.S. And, and then, okay, what was your like second step then? <laughs> the second step, and this was on my mind from the, the inception of the business, but it was to to use sustainable fabrics. Once again, when I first launched, we were a tiny brand. We're still a very small brand, but I couldn't afford the minimums. I just didn't have the resources to source or go to these fabric shows. At that time, recycled fabrics were really, really niche and there weren't that many options and the quality wasn't quite there. So I was just nervous and I couldn't do all the things. And so because we couldn't order the minimums of the fabric that I had found, I said, okay, that's on the back burner. So we're not going to use recycled yet. Let's establish the brand where we are able to, and then make next steps from there. But what I was able to do right from the start was to use um, organic cotton labels. So just the parts of the suit, you know, that say the little hang um, size, use all uh, recycled hang tags. So the hang tag that comes on the suit that says little brand info and really just, and then I didn't package anything in, in anything. Like the suits came and they were just like, I get them from a manufacturer, this box, like they'd be wrapped up in a little spaghetti, extra spaghetti tie. And then I would have them and then put them in my warehouse and then wrap them up in tissue paper and put a little heart sticker on it and send it out. <laughs> oh, it's so funny to think about that. <laughs> well, you got, you have to start somewhere and I love that you're like, okay, no, not a bunch of packaging stuff. Yeah. So that was, that was the next thing I was like, all right, we don't need to package this in plastic. What was the point of that? Why would I do that? And then once again, it was those other notions that I could control. So reaching out to the sourcing suppliers that I found, I was like, what is your green option here? You know, that's just the easy thing anyone can do is just be like, talk to the, your suppliers and say, what are my options? And if they don't have what your options are, take the time to go find another one. I think what slowed me down in the beginning of becoming as green as I am now was also the fact that I was just like, oh, I need to check the boxes and I need to have this thing done. And I can't put more time into finding eco-friendly swim, swim material because like, it's just too much on my plate. So I think if I would have just said, you know, this is a core value and we do need to follow it even more, then I could have gotten to that point faster. But 
you can only do so many things <laughs> as, a, as a startup entrepreneur. So that fell to the wayside. But the other components, um, yeah, so made in the U.S., no pa- plastic packaging, and then all of the notions, no plastic and all recycled. And you mentioned that these, okay, so these are like urge, early stage core value sustainability steps. So so tell us what your core values were at the very start and how do they? How are they now? You've gone through a rebranding process. You've upgraded the Sensi Grave Swim persona. Are this, are they the still, still the same core values or have you evolved over time? Yeah, that's a really great question. They are still the same core values. So from the very beginning, it was empower women in water sports. So how can we create a... Uh, a woman that is doing the things that I love to do and is uh, is actually showing this empowered version so we can be inspiring and create more confidence in our consumers to be made sustainably as possible. Because once again, I didn't want to just manufacture something. I didn't want to just be another swim brand that didn't make sense to me. And then to create a healthy lifestyle. So to inspire our customer to be more conscious in all areas of their life and not just think about what uh, the the one area, you know, just trying to create well-rounded balance. And um, over time, the only thing that we did add to that was create a rad product. That wasn't a core value in the beginning. <laughs> I wasn't thinking like, okay, I need to make the best quality product. Um, that kind of came later as I developed some confidence around who I was and what I was doing. But because to be honest, right in the beginning, and this is why now confidence and inclusion is one of our big things because the first couple of years in business, I was like, I'm a scared little bunny and I don't know what I'm doing. And I was nervous to even sell the product because I didn't believe fully in it. Not only because it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be and my name was on it. So, you know, when you're first starting a prototype um, sampling of, of product, it's not going to come out as you think, but I was taking that really personally and I, I made it mean something about me. So when the product didn't come out great, I was, you know, sinking down under the weight of this product not being as good as I wanted it to be. And I let that affect how I showed up in my business and how I really stepped into my power. And so I think that is one big takeaway. It's like, don't let the results of your business or your product or what you're doing affect how you feel about yourself. And it took me a long time to learn that. I can't remember. I think that's really interesting to hear your struggle with confidence. And I think that Laurel and I, as female business owners and working with other female business owners and encounter that often and hearing you coming from this background of competitiveness and team sports and having this confidence, like you said, to apply to be a kite serving coach and you didn't know how to do it. And you're like, whatever, I'll figure it out. And then to hear you, you know, have that doubt with your business is I think just very telling of the business world and the industry. And like you said, um, more specifically the industry that you're in and coming in being the new kid on the block and not being welcomed with open arms in some (laughs) certain events. So I just, I guess I just want to highlight that to someone like, you know, a professional kiteboarder, you're like fearless and you can go after all these things, but then to have that self-doubt launching a business, sorry. (laughs) <laughs> up. Yeah, I I think that is so huge and something we don't talk about enough. And really, now that I'm on kind of more on the other side of it, looking back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I've learned so much about just being able to 
carry myself in a different way, not see failure as the end all be all of what I'm doing, you know, have gratitude for where I'm at and not compare myself all the time, not, not use the word should to feel like I need to be or should be here when I'm here, like just embracing where I'm at and creating a lot of stoke from this place. But it's taking me a really long time to get there. So yeah, I, I think it's really important to share that because we always see people and we're like, especially on Instagram, they're living their best life. They've got all the things. They're pro kiteboarder. She's got her own business. And behind the scenes, I'm just like, ah, I'm doing the best I can. You know, ah, don't look at me. I feel bad about myself. <laughs> I'm not good enough. And now I'm just like, okay, I can really stand into the power of, you know, I'm okay with who I am and I'm proud of who I am today. And um, poor little Sensi, when she was first starting her business, did not feel that same way. So, yeah, I can really. <laughs> well, I, well I will say. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry to Laurel, but um, as you're talking about this, I've composed myself, I think. But is that thanks for sharing that, by the way, and your perspective? And I think it's very relatable to a lot of people. And so, a point you bring up is your name, your name is your brand name. And so, for us with a seller co or, or other stuff, we like you said, we can hide behind this name and be like, I don't know who that is. And so, what was the driver decision to name your brand your name? This is a funny story. <laughs> Initially, I wanted the name to just be Sensi because I didn't want to be the face of the brand, but I was like, Sensi is a cool name. It's going to be like Roxy or Chanel or Madonna. Just one word, Sensi. And I was like, cool, sounds good, done. That's easy to use. I didn't see anybody else with Sensi swimwear. Once again, naive, 23 years old, didn't know what I was doing, did not do my due diligence and look up any trademarks. And two years later, um, I had, there's a sandal company called Sensi. And they're in the same trademark classification, like beachwear as swimwear. And so they reached out to me, get, called me. And I always wonder what would happen if I didn't answer that phone call because it's a random number. <laughs> and they were just like, hey, you can't use this name. And I was like, what? Um, and long story short, they said they allowed me to put the graves in it. And so I was like, okay, well, it could be Sensi Graves Bikini. And the original name was Sensi Bikinis. I was like, that sounds good. That rolls off the tongue. You know, it's concise. And honestly, when I had to put the graves in there, that threw me off. I was not really fully believing in it. It was, it turned out to be a really good thing because it made me become more of the brand face. And now that's super relatable and, and growing my kite career and growing the bikini brand has really evolved together and supported one another. But initially I was just like, it, I still always called it Sensi Bikinis and that was the brand name and the graves was just in there and I never, and I had to put it in the logo, but I never really fully felt like the right thing. And that was also the impetus to do the, the change to Sensi Grave Swim because it's more concise. It allows me to really fully step into the power of, I love this name and it looks good and it works together. And like, let's move past the wanting it to be just Sensi Bikinis. But originally the intention was to hide behind it <laughs> and it backfired, <laughs> but it turned out to be a really good thing. It was meant to be. And so the the con what else went into the conscious decision of going from Sensi Graves bikinis to Sensi Graves swim? I have my own ideas, you tell me. Yeah. So the decision was because I wanted to once again really own the name. I hadn't felt like I'd been able to own Sensi Graves bikinis because of all this stuff with it wanting to just be Scentsy bikinis and then having to put the graves in there. And then also I felt like bikinis was a little bit intimidating. 
I felt like the word scared people off. And sometimes people would be like, oh, I can't wear a bikini. And it's like, well, but you can wear a swimsuit. And so just changing the words, you know, our words are so super powerful. And so just changing how you speak about things can allow you to experience different things and different ways of being. And so I thought that swim was just a more inclusive term and it allowed more people to identify with our brand and then just create more of a, uh, a female tribe. So not just being so gung ho, like I still have obviously super action sports oriented and, you know, that's the powerful woman we support, but it's also like, you know, we just want people to move their bodies. And so however that looks like, we just want to be an inclusive brand that helps people move their bodies so that they can feel good because that just creates a ripple effect of good of the world. Yeah. I think that's, that's your, your mission, right? Your, what's your, what would you say your mission or your, your passion is specifically. Yeah. As Sensi Grace Swim, our mission is to empower women to move, empower women to feel good in their bodies. And I like to say, go out in the world and be awesome, but it's about creating confidence and then being able to go out in the world and be awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I have, you know, in my experience, I am really attracted to Sensi Grave Swim um, I, it's not that I was put off by bikinis. I bought your bikinis 2013. I bought the Jillian's bottoms in sky blue and I rocked them in Ba for several years. They were gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. But, um, the swim, it's so much more. I mean, you modeled in runway to regeneration, you modeled tops and bottoms. They can be used for yoga. They can be used for walking around. You've got a swim long sleeve swim top. So it's not just bikinis. It's mm -hmm. more all inclusive. And I like how you said it's um, more and more inclusive to all different types of people. So how have your um, bikinis, the design of it changed over time to be more inclusive? Yeah, that's a great question. So the number one thing that we've done recently is to expand our sizing and then to show a variety of models on our website. Um, <clears throat> it was a big intention of mine last year to just, we, we always use quote real models. I hate that term, but we use women as our models. Um, but last year we made the intent. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but last year we made the intention to use a, a plus size model so that we could actually show. I was like, okay, well, we make extra large and double XL suits. Let's just show women in these suits. And the response we got from that was so fantastic that it really just affirmed the, the fact that it was the right move. And it was just such a great way to just show. I mean, we make that size. Why not show different people in those that variety of sizes? And so it's been a struggle as a small brand to do as many sizes as I want. We don't make all of our sizes in that full range. And I'd like to expand into triple um, XL as well and even double extra small. So go both sides. Um, but once again, as a small brand, it's really just hard to sell enough pieces to make the quantities worth it. So hopefully that's my goal to get to a point where we're really offering even more sizes and just showing this woman being active no matter what your body looks like. Yes. Yes. Thank you. We've, we've talked about uh, how your brand has grown to be more inclusive, how you're very conscious and aware of the supply chain. Tell us a little bit more about the details of your sustainability actions. Um, obviously made in the U S to me is just like, thank you for doing that. It not only creates jobs, but it reduces the carbon footprint of the transportation of the materials and 
that's just, it's very difficult. It's very, very difficult for a lot of brands to do that. So I applaud you. And you also mentioned about the the little tags and everything are very thoughtful. So at what point did you go, okay, I'm at the growth size where I can invest capital or afford recycled fabrics? And then how did you choose those providers? Yeah, that's a great question. And one thing I just want to say on the Made in USA piece is my production manager, who her name's Esperanza, so she owns this small factory in LA. And she's so fantastic. And every time I talk to her, she's just so great and so on it. And I just think it's really important to point out the fact that like, if, if we met the people that were making our clothes, we just feel such a better connection with it. And it just really is all this energy that's going in to the process. And she's so great that I'm just like, Esperanza, you know. <laughs> uh. <laughs> totally. Thank you, Esperanza. Thank you, Esperanza. Uh, anyway, back to the question. Okay. How did I choose? So we work with Reprieve and Eco Nil, which are two of the biggest suppliers for recycled swim products. And when I first started looking at the fabrics, so we went to 50%, we just started testing the fabrics and we're using 50% um, of our line with recycled materials in 2018 or was it 17? I think I started testing them in 2017 and then we incorporated in the line in 2018. And my big hesitancy was the minimums and then also the quality of the fabric. And it has gotten astronomically better over the years. But I think the real heroes in this story are Econil and Reprieve who are doing the work and putting in the time and the technology to be able to, Econil goes and they collect fishnets. Like they actively have a program where they're out there collecting fishnets with, which are, I'm pretty sure Laurel, maybe, you know, this is fishnets are the number one ocean polluter. Uh, I think microplastics are the number oh, one, Okay, but fishnets are fishnets there are high up there, but they go collect them and then they turn them in and they take the, the nylon scraps as well from their meal floor. And then they turn that into repurposed fabric. So that to me is just so incredible. Um, and when I was first researching both of their names just really popped to the top of the list. And then I went to a trade show and actually spoke with some of their sales reps and felt the fabric. And it's kind of how you do anything. You know, you dive into the Google and then find what you find. And then for me, it was actually meeting these people that was like, okay, this is a good quality piece. I can afford this. The time is now. So yeah, we started in 2018. And um, the, the second hardest thing for me was finding people because we do all of our own prints. So they're all custom prints. And that was that was the other piece that was a little bit difficult. We had the solids. They're easy to source. But finding something that was affordable to print on, for the longest time, it wasn't affordable. And our, our fabric or our prints are still like three times as much as our solids <laughs> to print. But they're really great. And they feel fantastic. So And they look good. <laughs> and when you say they're all custom design, are you the one that's like doodling and drawing and deciding? No, I wish I was that talented. No, I work with a graphic designer. I come up with the concept. So I don't know if you remember our cactus one a couple years ago. But I loved the cactus. But yeah, I was like, I want a cactus. This is the <laughs> colors I want. <laughs> that she made me some cacti. So I'll put together mood boards and then send that to my graphic designer. How do you decide on the the names? Because as I mentioned, I got the Jillian Bottoms and I think I know who they're named after. But how do you come up with the names and why are they all women? Yeah, that's a great question. So I come up with all the suits are named after my girlfriends. And so everyone has a, like the Jillian is named after our girlfriend in college. 
And um, it was just a way to connect, to make the product more tangible and that it connected with someone. And it was a representation of them kind of in that I was like, okay, this is the person that's coming to mind when I'm designing this piece. So it wasn't designed for Jillian or for the individual person, but it's just a, a representation representation of them. And I think it's, I think it's pretty rad to have a swimsuit named after you. And I wanted to give that to my, my girlfriends so them to be like, this is my swimsuit. And I think that's pretty rad. So it's just those little touches that I think make it a really personal brand and make you realize that there are humans behind it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I I completely agree with that. And and so back to Esperanza. Yay, Esperanza. <laughs> uh, she's in the US. And then your two recycled fabric providers, are they global? Like where are they situated? Yeah, Econil is in uh, Italy. So they actually produced in Italy. And then Reprieve, their factory is down in Southern California, but they ship their, they just make the yarn down there. And then they ship it all over the world. So actually our printed fabrics get made in Korea which I don't, you know, I haven't been there. I haven't checked out the factory. I don't know their practices. It's all just done through Reprieve. Um, and I know their standards are very high. There are, unfortunately, that I have found no American um, manufacturers of these fabrics. So that is a, a hurdle. But, you know, you just, I think, I think the big takeaway with this kind of stuff is you just do the best you can and you don't let perfection stop you. Absolutely. Yeah. Incremental progress is better than delayed perfection. And plus you want to get the product out there so that we can feel good and, and happy. And so you mentioned, um, you're very conscious about your packaging. You're very conscious about the supply chain. What other ways are you greening your brand and what's your vision? Is it to be the most sustainable swimwear brand in the world? <laughs> it is. Yay. Yeah. So one big initiative that we did for 2020, yep, this was the first year, was to offset all of our carbon. We decided to do that um, mid mid last year. We, we got into the program through Climate Neutral, which is this rad, super rad nonprofit that they allow brands to calculate your carbon production and then buy carbon offsets. And I love it because it's <clears throat> it's not just like a way to be like, okay, I'm making this much carbon. Let me just offset it and forget about it. But it actually gives you incentives to lower your carbon production and hold you accountable for what you're doing to the planet. So to me, it's, it's a self tax. It's something that we're choosing to put on the business, but I think it should be um, honestly a tax for all businesses. If you're creating a product that is creating a lot of pro um, carbon and you, you need to be able to account for that and then sequester it and take actions to offset it because we can't afford to have unlimited carbon production any longer. Yeah, agreed. And it's for those non greenhouse gas emissions experts, it is incredibly complicated to do your GHG emissions calculations. So a nonprofit like climate neutral who gives you the calculator and helps you do it is crucial in making everything easier. I mean, back when I was first doing climate action plans, it was, it's, it was so hard and now everyone's going, okay, this is so hard. Let me solve this problem for you. I'm going to step up and to see that go, go instead from policy and compliance to like uh, purposeful, intentional choice by businesses to do that. That's what I think is so powerful is it's, if we wait for it to become policy or compliance, it feels, feels very dominating, but if we're leading by example and just doing it out of our own free will, um, people jump on board with that. And I think another example where people are jumping on board with that idea is the 1% for the planet. 
And I mean, now we, we see it almost everywhere. Now, if you, if you aren't aware of 1% for the planet, Sensi, walk us through how you got engaged with them and why you've chosen to participate. Yeah. 1% for the planet is an amazing foundation nonprofit as well. started by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. And today, I don't even know how many brands participate in it, but it's a lot. And what it is, the, the fundamental of the program is that you donate 1% of your sales to environmental groups. And it's the important thing is 1% of sales. So not 1% of your profits, not how much money you take away, but how much you sell 1% of that. And once again, it's a self-tax. You opt into the program. And what 1% does is they vet, they go through and they vet the, the, the beneficiaries. And you can choose. So as a brand, I can choose. I want to donate to Columbia Riverkeepers. They're here in Hood River. They're local. I want to send my money to them. But 1% will vet and make sure that they're, they have, they're, on, they're on par with the, the green policies that we want to uphold. They're a legitimate organization you know, all those types of things. And then you are held accountable by 1%. So they make sure that you pay the amount of money that you need to pay and you have to submit your receipts and then they help with exposure. And just once again, this knowledge of we can't keep taking without giving back. And it's really important to be accountable for our consumption and, and actually have the sustainability initiatives in place to keep playing on this planet and keep having, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. just the, you know, the world <laughs> making it go round and, <laughs> and 1% for the planet is kind of what inspired. Um, it was a partly part of inspiration for a stellar co's give back model. We contribute 3% of our top line revenue. Um, originally the way we originally designed it was 1% for the planet. So those are like initiatives around wildlife abundance and diversity, and mm-hmm. then 1% for people. And those are initiatives around peace and justice. And finally, 1%, for the economy or moving us towards a more regenerative economy where we're compounding value throughout our system. And so that was like 3% for good. And then throughout 2020, we just like feel like 3% just wasn't enough giving. And when we calculated out how many hours and revenue we were contributing, it's more like 5%. And then we Mm. looked into the symbology of five and that, that number represents regeneration in man. So it was like, oh, duh. Okay. This is what we're doing. And so we kind of like, we're evolving over time. And that's what inspires me so much about Sensi Grave Swim is the evolution over time. Like you're not stopping growing. And that doesn't mean that you're gonna be the largest multinational corporation in the world, not like that growth. It's like self-development, empowerment, living your values, implementing your mission kind of growth. And that is what I love so much about your brand. And I, on that note about all the things that I love about your brand, I love, yes, I loved in Earth Day in April, 2020, you, you committed that every swim sold in April, you would plant one tree. What was your partner for that? I can't remember the name and, and tell us how you met and engaged them and why. Oh, great question. Cause now I'm forgetting the name of our partner. <laughs> I think I can look. Oh, sea trees. Sea trees. Yeah. Yes, sea trees. How did I find them originally? Well, moving into obviously Earth Day is something that we want to promote and just spread the message of protecting our planet. And I had stumbled across sea trees. I cannot remember how. Maybe they're part of 1% for the planet. And that's where I saw them. And their um, foundation put together by some surfers. And so they really have a connection to the earth and to the water. And we totally hit it off on Instagram. And I was just like looking into what they actually do. And I think the physical 
going and planting a tree and having that be an action that happens like really easily, super easy to, to pay to go do that. It was just like a couple dollars per tree. And I just wanted to have that symbol of let's give back, you know, like that's actually something where you're doing. It's not just, yeah, we're just giving these guys money to go do that thing. But I just love the actual action. And I mean, it actually inspired me. I was like, where can I plant some trees? Like I need to find, like, I want to go plant some trees now. So it was just, they were really rad and um, I should check in on them because I haven't thought about yeah, them. Yeah. I mean, I, I love stuff like that. I mean, it's pretty easy to plant a tree and they're the lungs of our world. So like, let's have healthier lungs. And I saw at the end of your website at Sensi Grave Swim under the sustainability section, you're basically like, hey, do you have ideas? Tell me. And I, I find that refreshing instead of being like, I'm, I'm on my own sustainability um, path and I don't need your insight and I don't want to be too transparent about where I'm going and where my weaknesses are. You're just like, tell me all the things. I want to listen. Let's crowdfund or crowdsource to be more sustainable. Have you yeah. gotten a lot of um, like requests or contacts to support that? I'm trying to think. I had one person reach out. So no, short answer, no. Okay. <laughs> but long answer okay. is, oh, I'm getting a little reverb. Nope, it's gone. Is that just to be open. I mean, that's a huge part of where I want this brand to go is to be really transparent. Are we 100% sustainable? No. Absolutely not. I mean, one big example I have is like the, the bra cups that come in, not every single one of our suits, but a lot of them, those are made with oil. Those are petroleum based. I haven't been able to find a recycled version of those yet. And so just little things where, where when we analyze the supply chain and all the things that go into making a swimsuit, I am looking at how can we make this more sustainable, but I don't have all of the options and all of the knowledge. And I'm not trying to say, only be fully sustainable or be nothing. I'm being transparent with, you know, you, we are growing into this. We are doing the best we can. I think that's true for all humans. Everyone's just trying to do the best that they can. And the more knowledge that we can share with one another and the more we can support one another, the better we all are going to be. It's, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. And so I just really wanted to be open with my customers and, and every other business owner out there with, Hey, help us. You know, if you have an idea of what we can do better, it's we're all in this together. And that I think is one of the key lessons of the pandemic, right? We're all in this together. And I think that's a, one of our big positive takeaways, but we're also all in this together on protecting our planet. Yeah. I have one more sustainability related questions and then we can move on. Jess, I'm sure you've got some things to ask specifically. I wanted to know what is Sensi Grave Swim definition of sustainability? Everyone has a different definition and that's great and that's okay. What is yours? Yeah, our definition of sustainability is to create a production process where we have the earth first in every decision that we make. That's great. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you said we're not 100 percent sustainable, then I was thinking, well, what does 100% sustainable mean? So I love that you have a clear definition of that and how you're able to, to measure when you achieve that. And I also love, this isn't, I guess, a question, but it's just that you putting out there that being transparent in where you aren't as sustainable as you want to be, or you haven't reached sustainability yet, that 
like you said, it allows people to come to you with ideas and it lets people know in your community and the community you've built of people who like your products and buy your products to be, to think about that. And if they come across it or people, once you put it out there in the universe, then it allows people to come back to you with and solve your problem. And when you're more guarded with that information, then that's when I think it creates problems. And I was thinking about that too, when you're talking earlier, like in the very beginning about your supply chain, one, I think something that's like so critical, like you found like having good partnerships is so critical in your success. And in addition to have the sustainability aspect, just having people who are in your core and Esperanza and these people that you can rely on, it's just so critical to any aspect of business and whether or not, I mean, obviously we want everybody to go the sustainable route, but regardless it's just having those good partnerships. And I think that when you work with these people and you develop these partnerships, like you were saying, they may not have a sustainable option, but when you find the good people, you can help bring them options too. So you can help introduce to your suppliers, like, hey, this isn't sustainable. I'd like this to happen. And it might be something that they've never thought about or they didn't know was possible. Or now they know that one of their clients and customers is interested in that. And so now they may be open to changing their practices. And so having these discussions and being innovative is just so key for all of us, not only as a business owner, but as a consumer too. That's it. Oh, you're muted. Thank you. I think you hit on a good point there, which is one person and one business can make a difference. And I think we can get overwhelmed easily with like, I don't matter. My voice doesn't matter. My actions don't matter. But one thing I realized in building this business is just each and every one of us is influential in your daily actions. Everything that you do, the people around you see, and they can be inspired by. And so really thinking through how you want to show up, especially as a business owner and entrepreneur, but also in your daily life really can be super impactful. And I am going to be this person. So I have ordered myself some wine. And I, I don't know if it's sustainable, but I'm telling myself it is. And it's always packed in like the mushroom packaging. And I'm like, okay, well, this month I get it. And it's all styrofoam and the styrofoam pieces are falling out. And I'm like, what, what the hell? And so I took pictures of it and I haven't done this yet, but I did take pictures. I'm going to email the company and be like, why did you do this? And I guarantee that sales are, well, I take that back. They're probably having supply issues maybe with the wine. Cause I think more people would be ordering wine right now, but maybe not, but I'm guessing they're trying to cut costs on their shipping. And I want to be like, I'll pay an extra like buck or two or whatever you're saving here to not have this. Yeah. And so I'm just going to be as a, a customer and who knows, maybe they won't write back. And if they don't, then I know as a conscious consumer, that's the type of person that I'm choosing to do business with or not. But, um, yeah, I'm just, I don't like it. So I'm going to email them and ask them to change it. And I think that's, something we all have the power to do. I love that. Yeah, that's something that I think we all can take a, a leaf from, right, right? A leaf from that book, page from that book. <laughs> What's this? Page from that book. <laughs> and do that more. It's just be, if you say what you don't like or say what you do like, that's something that's really key as well. I find that when people email me and I often get, I don't get so many negative environmental ones, but I get a lot of positive ones. And that honestly really allows me to keep going so i would put on the flip side of that coin is like when you see a company doing something rad do not be afraid to reach out with them out to them even if they're really big like guarantee they love hearing it and really fuels 
their motivation to keep going. So both sides of that coin. Yeah, I I think that is a really great reminder because I, and I'm saying this now as a person who's going to write in with some constructive feedback that to reach out and support the brands. And, you know, if this is something that we had talked about is like, as a consumer shopping with your dollars, I mean, that's the best feedback you can give. And, and I think, I guess, what, what advice do you have for consumers who, to be conscious and to shop sustainable brands and ethically? And because as a sidebar, as you're getting into this, I guess my personal anecdote is yesterday, I was, I've got an Instagram ad for something. I was like, Ooh, I want to buy this. I was like, stop, pause, Jessa. Let's check out where you're spending your money before you go through. And then I couldn't find anything in the about us or what they did. I'm like, if it's not on the website, they're probably not doing it. Um, so yeah, just what advice do you have to, to us as how we can be more conscious consumers? Oh, that's such a great question, Jessa, because I think that's the number one thing is just to stop and notice and take the minute to be like, wait, Number one, do I need to buy this thing? Because oftentimes we don't need to buy the thing. So reduce is actually the first step still. And then number two, to dive into the about section of the website, look if they have any credentials. A lot of times people will say something, but then they don't have the credentials to back it up. So they will say they're eco-friendly, but then there's no nothing on the literature around what they're made, how they're made with. And so I think people now can stick a lot of this eco-friendly greenwashing terminology on their products and on their website without having back it up. So you actually need to go even a layer deeper and say, okay, they say they're eco-friendly. How are they backing that up? And to really take that time is super duper important. Looking at the, the, um, what, what the pieces are made out of. So choosing more natural fibers over synthetics, choosing recycled fibers over synthetics, shopping at thrift stores, shopping reuse. It's a great way to be more conscious with your consumption and your buying practices. And then, of course, to shop local. But creating that conversation uh, is a really great thing to do within your your peer group of like, okay, what brands do you love and why do you choose for to buy from them? And do they actually have the credentials to back up what they say that they are doing. Um, and then to end that point, not so much on buying, but one thing I just want to point out is how we use our clothes really matters. So I think it's important for consumers to really think about how long you're keeping your products, how you're washing them. Microfibers get leached into our Laurel gosh, into our, um, from our washing machines, just, just into our waterways. A lot yeah. of, a lot of, Brands now provide the wash bags so you can put your swim or your clothes into the wash bags to keep the microplastics from going through your laundry machine out into the water system. But places like Hood River in San Diego, anything that goes into the waterways, even if it's like on pavement and then it rains, the water goes straight into the storm drain, which goes straight out to the ocean, which goes into fish, which goes into the whole the whole thing. And, and for, for those of our listeners that aren't coastal, that's kind of like a mind blower. It's like any anytime you wear like a microplastic polyester outfit outside, it sheds or it rains and it and it sheds and that goes straight into our water. Oh, it's terrifying. But to yeah, so, really think about how you use your clothes. So what's the most sustainable fabric? <sighs> Maybe hemp. 
I mean, I, you, I would say that too. Right. Okay. I would say hemp too, because, um, it's low water. It's a weed. Um, so it grows really well. It's a great rotational crop. It can be a soil amendment in agriculture, a rotational crop in agriculture. It creates an incredibly durable cloth, especially if you do organically and reg regenerative agricultural practices. And it's totally biodegradable and safe for like consumption. Like you could probably eat it. So winning. It, yeah. I think it's like, it might be the fungus of, of fabrics, <laughs> like the fungi of fabrics. I don't know. That's so funny. Um, and yeah, Laurel, Laurel and I will have to talk to you offline about something that we're working on that might solve this, but we're, uh, yeah, we are definitely getting out of fashion. And, awesome. and I think <laughs> that, and I'm like the ultimate like fast fashion poster child. I feel like I'm so like, I'm, I'm recovering, but I am definitely a victim. <laughs> so when you, I'm trying to think of the best way. So at the beginning of the podcast, you're throwing out a lot of statistics about the waste and there are these big numbers and like fat, like the fashion industry is the second most wasteful industry in the world. And, and so as a, as a consumer, as me, how can I, you know, we're talking about like being an individual and being able to make a difference and why bless you. Like, how can I think about this? My impact, like how does me buying a Cincy Graves, swim piece differ like how am I really making a difference besides buying something from Amazon and like can you kind of walk through like the supply chain like the difference in that and I know you've kind of talked about this already but I'm trying to think about like it's so easy to go with the convenient like prime two-day shipping option and like walking through like what someone could be thinking about as they're weighing these choices or going out of their way to find like sustainable brands to follow on Instagram instead of just searching and swim on Amazon. Yeah. Well, once again, it's not the prices you see on Amazon and in fast fashion are not accounting for the full actual price of the good. So they're making really low quality fabrics overseas, shipping them in. So using a lot of fossil fuels with transportation costs, not paying fair and ethical wages, not having good wastewater treatment. So anything that they're dying is just going into the local environment where their factories are located. And it's not, I mean, not only is it not sustainable, but it's impacting that local community where it's built. And I think when we do not have that transparency with, we just go to Amazon and just put things in our cart and purchase them. We really have this disconnect between the planet and the product. And it's really easy to have this big trans, this big storefront up where we're not seeing the actual impact. But if we were to have a lens through to where that product is actually made, I think people change their buying habits immediately because if you actually see the product, so I think one of the biggest things once again, with not shopping on Amazon or not going to these big box stores is just to actually have that connection with the brand to know that you're supporting that person, but you're more so supporting that infrastructure that you believe in. And, and truly we can't go much longer at the rate we're going with our carbon production and our wastewater, um, lack of wastewater treatment facilities and just our overall pollution. And, and also the waste that we're creating with throwing away all these old products and all these old clothes at the end of their life cycle. And so if 
just by buying differently and choosing to buy better products, you're voting for this new way of living and you're voting for a truly, and when we say sustainable, I know this word because it gets thrown around so much now kind of loses that meaning a little bit, but it's, you know, that's, it's the only option. If we're not sustainable, that means at a certain point we're going to run out, right? We're, we're going to have no more water to pollute because it's all going to be polluted. We're going to have nowhere to live. We're not going to be able to enjoy our environment. And the, and the planet and the animals and the people on it are not going to have as good a quality of life. Like we're, we're you know, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. So if we just think that sustainability and thinking through the actual term is our only option, then we can empower ourselves more and okay, this is the choice that I need to make because these are what I believe in as a human. And I want to create a better planet moving forward. I think the the Native Americans, indigenous people, I think the Iroquois nation in particular has this manifesto of seven generations. You know, every action that you take now, think about how it affects the seventh generation behind you. And they always had the intention of enabling the seventh generation to inherit a clean and safe and beautiful world that we so fortunately get to enjoy today. But if we think through seven generations down the road, and we continue with these manufacturing practices, it's not sustainable and therefore it cannot happen. So my o- the only track we can take is the other one. Hence the name seventh generation, that, that lovely certified B Corp brand. Um, and that brings us to the wind down or the wind up, depending on how you look at it. Walk us through your three point landing, the three key takeaways you want our audience to remember. Yes. Takeaway number one is that you can make a difference. Your choices matter. You have impact. Takeaway number two is that you can do anything that you set your mind to. And I really want, especially for women on this podcast, is step into your power and allow yourself to dream big and keep working on your self-worth and you're making an investment in yourself to keep going because the world really needs your input and your beautiful face, smiley faces. And then, oh, third one, I almost forgot it, is you are right where you're supposed to be. And this is a big one for my entrepreneurs that I think we're always, you know, striving for the next thing. And it's okay to embrace where you're at. And it's the best thing to do, in fact, because you shouldn't be anywhere else. You're right where you're supposed to be. And that gives you a lot more power moving forward. And we're right where we're supposed to be with you, Betsy. Thanks for investing your time in us and for sharing. We're so happy to support you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. All right. Send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening. And visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.